maybe I dropped off, but then suddenly I heard at Jason Connerly and was wondering if this was the right channel. Is this Nerds RPG Variety Cast suddenly? I don't know, Spike Pitt, Colin Green. Time to call those lawyers. Hi there, I'm Colin Green. You're listening to Spike Pit. But this is not one of my normal episodes. I'm calling these episodes my drive-by episodes, wherein I speak a little bit more candidly about the things that are on my mind. I'll be pulling less punches, maybe biting a bit less on my tongue. Now, if you think that's perhaps not such a good thing, then this is not the episode for you. Remember... This is a drive-by. Hey, Colin, it's Joe. Dude, I thought that was really cool of you to put out this episode when Jason left his uh, addendum or whatever, man. That was rad to give Jason his, you know, let him get his thoughts out. And Jason, good on you, dude. Uh, I, I was fully aware of what you were thinking, but I'm glad that you made it more clear, man. So anyway, both of you guys are cool, and I appreciate both of you very, very much. Kind words indeed then from Joe of Hindsightless and Wheel or Woe. Joe's getting into his Pathfinder at the moment. He's looking to build up a pool of Pathfinder 1 players. If you want to get involved with that, Hit him up, he can be found on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places. You could call into his podcast, Hindsightless. I've thrown my name in the hat. I don't know how often I'll be able to play, but it's a kind of a... He's looking to set up something pretty casual, drop in, drop out. And I think he's 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 going along the lines of the more the merrier. And um, if you're playing in a game with Joe you know Maria is definitely going to be on the cards. I I have a great fun time. I only play with Joe a couple of times, but it feels like I've I've played more. I don't know. I don't know is that a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but I intend it as a compliment. I I don't intend to suggest that it dragged on. <laughs> no. No, nothing of the sort. Always a blast. And um, it appears that Mr. Ro- Rodriguez, Carl, had a little more to say. He he opened at the beginning of the show with a little bit of a, a light-hearted dig. But he's got some more to say on this spirit of open discussion. And this being a drive-by episode is going to be one of those discussions lacks a certain coherence I'm going to be dropping in some thoughts about what I've been up to a little bit of an update later on in this episode and um, following on from Carl we've got Evil Jeff so I'm going to run them two calls in together but seriously I think Jason did have some very good points and he did them in a not angry way um, kind of neat facts that he put out um, I don't think I'll have to fact check him maybe we'll see I was going to say that uh, Watsy did come to a compromise and they're going to put a disclaimer 
on all the all what they're going to call their legacy items but it's going to be st more strongly worded than you know star wars legacy but they're not going to get rid of it it's still going to be around at least so far unless uh the cancel culture people aren't dissatisfied but now there's it's a it's weird i was looking on that guy's uh on the that group's uh Twitter feed and there are people who are sarcastic and somewhat mean but that's not the way to have a good dialogue I hope it continues to be positive and uh, we all can play the game that we like Spike Pitt it's Evil Jeff hope you're doing well just listened to most recent episode 287 I believe um, and in there you mentioned something about the satanic panic uh, and unfortunately I think there's a little bit of a fallacy in there uh, you mentioned Billy Graham as the person that was part of that, or by your recollection. Um, Billy Graham, as far as I have ever heard and known, never spoke out against Dungeons & Dragons or anything like that. He was never involved in anything with a satanic panic because he is not what they would have called a fundamentalist Christian. He never was that. Yes, he was a Christian evangelist, but he was never a Christian fundamentalist. Now, Jerry Falwell is definitely a fundamentalist, and he spoke out against it. Um, also, Pat Pulling, who was an anti-occult crusader, who is the person that believed her son committed suicide because of a Dungeons & Dragons curse. And she pulled... Her fear of this from a gentleman by the name of Chick, um, and I'm trying to remember, Jack Chick, I believe, who made fundamentalist Christian tracks. If anybody was going to be labeled as having something to do with it, it would be those three. But I will double check with a friend of mine who uh, works for the Billy Graham Library and see if there's anything that they have there. But I'm fairly certain it was never him. So that was Evil Jeff. Thanks for the call. Obviously, I was only talking about my recollections. The fact of the matter is the uh, local church shut down my group. Perhaps more precisely, the parents of the kids I played with shut down my group and they attended the church. The Billy Graham Connection... That was just a name that was banding around at the time. I became aware of Jack, Tri Jack Chick and the Chick Tracks much later on my return to gaming, but at the time I heard nothing about him and some of the other folk you mentioned in your message, you know, they were not names that were cropping up. So perhaps unfairly Billy Graham took some of the flack he may have just been one of the uh, kind of like preacher folks that were were being mentioned in conversation generally in and around church matters and yeah he could have got tarred with the same brush or perhaps the people that were explaining or not really sufficiently explaining the situation to us kids maybe they had just misinterpreted what had been said so we're talking about something that is 30 plus years ago very hard to unravel but appreciate the call hope you didn't uh, feel that I was besmirching 
Billy Graham personally, just kind of making my account of it, really. But if you find out further information and unearth some of the history of the satanic panic, I'm always eager to hear more. Uh, it's um, kind of fascinating, really, that that what seems to me as, as quite an innocent game can be so vehemently hated among certain circles. Damn, dude, that sucks about Ricky. Man, Ricky, I hope you get better soon. Uh, everything I've heard about you leads me to believe that you're a super cool dude, and having your appendix burst like that has got to suck, man. So get well soon, and hopefully you'll be back at the table before you know it, man. Well, so back in business this evening, running in the jungle. Jungle's a cholt. DM Ricky's back in his uh, DMing chair. Um, first session of Waterdeep was Tuesday, just gone. And uh, yep, certainly good to be back at the table. Uh, the kids, when I when I told them the game was on, were delighted. Sonny's sort of head spun round and his eyes opened wide with delight. Woo, DMD! <laughs> So there you go, and uh, that went well. Little two-hour session to kind of get caught up where we were. It was mostly a combat. Fought some, ended up fighting some marrow. Never fought marrow before. They're like these sort of um, aquatic mer creatures, kind of thing. Um, pretty nasty fishmen types with particularly nasty claws took my character down I was onto my second death save roll I had passed the first one of course it occurred to me in fact that one of the um, one of the quite neat things about the mechanism for for being taken out of action and dying in in D&D now is that you you sort of stay invested when you're down you're not just sort of unconscious and nothing to do you've got the, the tension of making those those death rolls which is I mean if you think about it not a million miles away from the kind of roles you're engaging with um, in in a combat round you're just rolling that d20 you you're trying to hit a target. So I wonder if uh, that was something the designers had considered when they uh, put that in the rules. I've not, I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about that. Sure they have though. Tell you what though, uh, if you don't play for six weeks, it's a good way to forget exactly where you were at in your campaign. Even making notes, I was looking, flicking through my journal trying to kind of uh, re-familiarise myself and we cut off halfway through a combat normally that's fine I quite like that but it would appear that my sort of tally on the hit points and, and exactly the nitty gritty of where we were in the combat was uh, not too thorough so I've got to decipher that a little bit later and try and get off to a good start my guess is 
this this first session back back in the jungle will be a little bit a, a little bit uh, rocky until I get back into the flow but it it should it should sort of soon gather pace again and be running smoothly I, I've been quite impressed at how smooth it's been going considering I've not not really run online before and uh, that the technology was a little bit lumpy at the start but we seem to have got that smoothed out so it's good I don't enjoy it as much as face to face I have to say but there are definite pros and cons like with most things Hey Spike Pit, I'm just really calling in to get some moral support. I mean, what is Spencer, it's a bit, you know, what is he on about saying that I am complicating things? What, where does that come from? And what, you know, what's he on about with his whole shit shittery, shit shittery, shit shit shiroo? What, what, like... How How is anybody supposed to translate that into a rule system? Poor old Barney, that's all I can say. Phoning up old Spike Pit for a bit of moral support. And we know how much moral support he's going to get here. <laughs> Absolutely none at all. <laughs> oh dear. Crazy call-ins from Barney. It's been a while, but there you go. He is, of course, referring to some nonsense around a certain game. I was designing my free stage. Oh, free step, free stage, I don't even know. It's too complicated a rule set for me to remember the title now. Um, he's referring to that and poking a bit of fun at Spencer. But the reason I included it here was not sheer folly and... Uh, for the amusement of the audience. It was, in fact, because I wanted to refer to that earlier recording I'd made yesterday, driving in the van, played my session in the jungle, back in there with the kids. And after six weeks out, I'd found I was getting myself into a little bit of a... a little bit... getting a little bit of a... GM anxiety prior to the session felt a little bit rusty. I knew in my in my in my heart that uh, everything would be fine, but you just know when you you're not quite settled. You you've um, you've got these nagging doubts. Are you going to be able to pick off pick up okay from where you left off and, and stuff like that, and. A gap like six weeks can easily, easily be the death of a game. Um, I was cognizant of that. So it was with some trepidation that I began the session. Now, online gaming, I, I mentioned in, in recording, it's not my favourite. And I still tr struggle with uh, keeping the attention of the kids and it was a struggle. I've got to say they were quite distracted and fidgety. I know it'll get better. But part of the problem is we sit in a row on the sofa looking at uh, our remote player, Ricky, on a on a tablet. Sometimes there's some struggles with audio. I tried sort of s 
sitting in different rooms and, and making it more like a proper online game, and that didn't work out well. I now think I'm going to have to set up two machines so I can see all the players in front of me so that I can engage the, the kids with some eye contact. Uh, it, it, it's just a sort of a barrier there. There's a visual barrier that's causing me problems and I need to get that sorted out. But this brings me on to my next point. I was listening to Safer, our new Geordie friend from the northeast of England, uh, he's got a podcast called Safer Fantasy Crafting, and he was talking about uh, the curse of immersion and how he'd been playing some games with his nephew, and when he starts world building and everything, he, he gets into it, he gets serious, gets kind of precious about his world and everything, and feels that he is too pedantic with it. And the, in uh, in one of the sessions, he mentioned that He'd pulled up his, his nephew, who's not quite a teenager, I believe he might be 11, or I think 11, 11, maybe 12. And he'd pulled him up for talking kind of disrespectfully in a way to a noble in the scenario. And basically his nephew's face dropped and he felt maybe 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 this had had a detrimental effect on the session and he was talking about his concerns of, you know, there he was trying to bring on someone into the hobby and it was potentially he was scaring them off with his own desire for this various similitude and immersion, etc. And I got to thinking about this and I was thinking about it quite specifically and, you know, what would my advice be and perhaps I'd, I like to take my lead from my younger players, all my players in general, um, because every everybody's uh, uh, t- together has got to enjoy the session. I mean, it's I'd be the first one to say, yeah, it's no good just playing a game because the players want to. But at the same time, it's no good playing a game just because the GM wants to, or playing in a way that just suits the GM. You, you've you've got to make it enjoyable for your players and it sounds obvious but I think Safer's instinct instincts were leading him in the right direction he, he, he saw his, his players face drop and you know maybe the the session took a turn for the worse and I would definitely take that as a warning sign and do something about that because he, he's only got one player in that group and if he loses that player, that's the end of that game. So whatever effort he puts into building that world and making it come to life, it's soon going to die off with no players in it. So I think he's right to be concerned and, and look for an answer. And I think there is a very real danger that we can take the enjoyment out of this hobby by overthinking it. I know I can. I spend a lot of time thinking and kind of agonising over some of this stuff. And it's not always because I, I really want to. I'm, I'm almost uh, in, in a habit of thinking about it. And sometimes I think you're, you're better off stepping away. You can overdo something. And this brings me on to another point. And these three points kind of in the last day linked up for me. 
my son, who's a similar age to Safer's nephew, uh, actually 12, and um, he's got into miniature painting. And I think he's a really good painter. He's, he's only been painting about a year, and he, he's come such a great way with it all. I've even given him, I've finally decided to, he had his own stuff and his own paints. I'll finally give him all my miniature painting stuff because, to be fair, in a lot of ways, he's just a better painter than me. He, he lacks a little bit of experience in some areas, but I can see the talent is there. He hasn't got the shaky hands that I've got and, you know, I want to encourage him. So I've passed on my paint to the next generation. Realistically, if I want to do a bit of painting, I'll just sit down with him and we'll paint something together. But my point is this idea of overwork and an overwrought result. I've done it in drawings. I think anybody who ever creates anything, there is a real danger you can... Um, work the life out of something it becomes overwrought and the example was this dragon he was doing he he'd got so much going on with it he'd lost the some of the vibrancy that at one stage quite early on i mean it was i thought it was well pretty spectacular that was that was my thought i mean i'm his dad probably i'm biased I thought it was pretty spectacular, and then he, he's he's done, just I don't know what it is, and I can't quite explain it to him. It's a difficult, that is a, a subtle and difficult thing sometimes to know when something's become overwrought and you've overworked it. And I think we're thinking about RPGs and designs and adventures and the way we play and everything. I think there's a danger that we can get ourselves in such a kind of a knot with it all. We put ourselves off, and if you listen to Safer's episode, I believe the title is "The Curse of um, Immersion," something like that. Or this might have been the episode before that. I don't know. A couple of his early ones. Uh, he talks the same. The way he kind of almost he, he drove himself out of the hobby, and sometimes you just got to step back, leave something alone. Um, look for that kind of that spontaneous session again which brings me on to the second part of my kind of on the road recording talking of online we're going to be running my swords and uh, sorcerers and cell swords session for a few guys out of the pit crew next saturday uh, that's the 8th of august been really looking forward to that had a chat with Ray Otis from Plundergrounds. Uh, when was that? I spoke to him on Monday and he was very quick to put out an episode. So if you haven't listened to uh, myself and Ray chatting on Plundergrounds and you're interested in hearing about Ray's game, Sorcerers and Swords, I can highly recommend that episode. Uh, I know I'm on it, but I don't think I ruined it too much and uh, had a great fun recording it and it's it's really good to sit and well i i think it's it's good to sit and have a chat with a designer of a game because you, you you really get to the bottom of what it is they're they're trying to achieve and on the subject of 
well, what is basically an adaptation of lasers and feelings, a certain fellow purple wormer, my old buddy Dave Aldridge, suggested that lasers and feelings is just troll babe, which is a game that Ron Edwards put out. I thought I should investigate this a little bit and discovered that troll babe is actually 47 pages long it's a full-blown kind of rule book so on a, a quick inspection i can see the the kind of dice mechanism that is the foundation perhaps of lasers and feelings and where the game gets its name from is is very very close more or less identical to troll babe troll babe uses a d10 lasers and feelings uses a d6 but um man you know one is one page long which is lasers and feelings and 47 pages for troll babe there's there's got to be some differences going on there it looks like there's some setting material and lasers and feelings seems a lot kind of less uh less rigidly structured it seems like just 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 flicking through it looks like mr edwards has got some very specific ideas about how you play that game whereas perhaps you know with one page of lasers and feelings it's it's a lot more a lot more focused in some ways and in other ways i'll say it's maybe broader so this is something I'm going to look into a little bit more and uh, perhaps perhaps I could get Mr Aldridge to explain and, and talk about the, the comparison. That might be something worth doing. There you go, folks. What a hot mess. I'm not going to do anything more to it. I've got a barbecue to sort out. I'm sure you've got better things to do than listen to me chuntering on. Big thanks to the folks who called in. Big thanks to the pit crew, my patrons over at Spoke Pit, keeping me going and growing. And last but not least, I want to say a big thanks to you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to listen to Old Spike Pit. Take care and I'll catch you later.